Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So I want to get right into this this morning, this uh, series that we're in. But I have a question for you, which I usually do. I like you to think a little bit. It's a pretty easy one, though. Has anyone ever been to Yellowstone National Park? I'm so jealous. Isn't that, isn't it just an amazing place? I mean, even if you haven't been there physically, you've seen photos, you may have seen, you know, a film on it, you know, a documentary or something like that. It's absolutely amazing. Did you know, and I mean, it's no wonder, I guess, because of its beauty, that it was the first national park established in the entire world? I knew Bruce would know. He shaked and said, yeah, I know this stuff. I know facts and history, man. But I thought that was cool. That's the first ever. You know what year it was? Oh, so close, 1872. So lawmakers came together. The president at the time was Ulysses S. Grant, and they signed uh, into law to set aside this place to protect it as a national treasure, which is beautiful. And again, even if you haven't been there, you know, when you see these wonders, it's just, it's like, wow, right? I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon, and I had uh, Ethan with me. And at the time, Ethan was just maybe... Man, he must have been two years old. And I remember we, you know, there's a parking lot where you park and you have to walk up. And as we walked up and came up over this area, I mean, like it was there, like in all its glory. And I remember my two-year-old Ethan was like, whoa, dad, what's that? At two, because it was just like, wow. Well, that's Yellowstone. So many things it's known for, right? I mean, it's got bison and, and bears and wolves and <laughs> I know. Was it lions, tigers, and bears? Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in eagles, my wife loves bald eagles. She's con- the other day she went, oh, my gosh, I saw another bald eagle. Like, she listens for them. She can hear them. She thinks they're amazing. But it has all these beautiful creatures. But not, that, not just that. It has mountains. I mean, these rugged, majestic mountains. And the more I talk about this, the more I really want to go. Uh, so that's, gonna, that's a bucket list item. But, you know, then there are the geysers. I think if Yellowstone was known for anything, it would be the geysers. There's so much geothermal activity. Do you know that the park actually sits on top of a huge super volcano? So and you're like, what? I thought that only happened like in Hawaii and other countries. But, but it's sitting on top of this volcano. All over the park, there's this brewing heat that's working its way up to the surface, and it forces its way through the earth. And the crazy thing is how many different geysers there are. Now, you're probably really familiar with Old Faithful. Anyone ever heard of Old Faithful? I actually have a photo of right here. Isn't that beautiful? I want to go. Let's go right now. You're like, it's too cold. But it's beautiful. This geyser, it hits about 20 times a day, and it shoots water and steam about 180 feet into the air. Wouldn't that be amazing? You wouldn't want to be too near it, I don't think, when it went off, because it's kind of hot, right, Bruce? pretty amazing. And so, you know, we, we see Old Faith, we understand about that, but there's other well-known geysers for different reasons. Have you ever heard of the Grand Prismatic Geyser? I got the sweet photo of it right here. Look at those colors. Isn't that beautiful? Look at this aerial view of it. I got an aerial, yeah, look at this. Isn't that gorgeous? I need to take my drone when I go. They probably won't let me fly it, though. It's probably off limits. That'd be so cool. Do you know that this here is a natural hot spring, as you can see, you know, the, the, the um, 
what do you call it, steam coming off it. But you know it's 10 stories deep? That's just amazing to me. This is amazing to me. It's the largest hot spring in the U.S., and it's the third largest in the entire world. And then, you know, we have Old Faithful, we have the Prismatic, but they also have these mud geysers called mud pots. You ever heard of these? It's kind of like these cauldrons of goo somewhere between liquid and solid. I was thinking about it. It's kind of like when you have a pot of oatmeal on the stove. Or I just ruined someone's breakfast, okay. But you know how it just kind of bubbles and burps and it's releasing steam? There's all kinds of these, right? They release these, this heat and this gas into the air. And, and then they come in different colors depending on whatever predominant minerals that they hold. And there's just this constant like lava like churning and mixing in the earth. When you think of these geysers, it's so beautiful. And you think, Pastor, why are you talking so much about geysers? Because geysers remind me of joy. When I think of a geyser, I think of joy. And, and similar to geysers, joy bubbles and overflows and has to find its way, its way out somehow, some way, right? It's got to find its way out. And sometimes, for some people, it's kind of like that big bursting eruption like Old Faithful. Have you ever met someone and you just like, you actually say about them, wow, they're just bubbling over with joy. And you wonder, do they, do they ever have a bad day? I mean, I know people like that. I'm like, well, I wish I could live life like that. But for some people, it's just this bursting joy. But sometimes I was thinking about this comparison. Joy might be a slow rolling churn. It might even be a little bit muddy or murky or, or slower to make its way out. But no matter what's surrounding it or influencing it, joy has its source, get this, from deep within. Now, if you've been on the journey with us here over the last few weeks, we've been talking about these different characteristics of God. We talked about the first week, we talked about hope. Last week, we talked about peace. And today, I want to talk about joy. Rediscovering Christmas, finding joy in our discouragements. And, and I thought about this idea of each one of these, these characteristics of God being gifts that he's given to us. You know, you don't have to try to somehow manufacture hope. You don't have to manufacture peace. You don't have to manufacture joy. I know at times it seems far off, like it's not accessible. But the truth is, it's inside. It's already there. Look at the person next to you and say, it's already there. And so if you've been with us over the last few weeks during this series, we've been talking about this idea and celebrating this Advent. The word Advent means coming. It means arrival. And, you know, this season is marked by expectation. It's marked by waiting, by, by anticipation, by longing. And I've said this every week, and I think it's important to understand, is that Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. I believe that it's a season that links the past, the present, and the future. It offers us, I believe, in this moment, if we can grasp that moment, which means we have to slow down, right? We have to sometimes find that quiet place, and be quiet and listen to the voice of spirit. But it gives us an opportunity, I believe, to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah. To celebrate the birth of Christ. And also to be alert on how God moves here now in the present. And I say this all the time. You know how God moves on this earth? Through you. Through me. 
it's great. Last week we talked about we talked about this huge sign, right? In a dark, cold night in the desert, and suddenly there's a sign. But how many know that's usually not how it happens? That's why it's called miraculous. God finds his way to others and to this world through you and me. And so if you live a life, I like to look at it like this. Everything we do should be out of inspiration, not obligation. And so if you're living life out of obligation, like I must, I must, I must, guess what? It becomes laborious. It becomes hard. Okay, it's like a chore. Come on, when you were a kid, did you have a chore list? I know I did. I was very thankful when I moved out and could do stuff on my own, but not so much when I'm 12 and 13 and 14 and my friends are already out playing football in the lot across the street and I didn't do my chores. But some of us, we approach this, this life of Christianity in such a legalistic, religious way, it becomes a list that we check off. Rather than, oh, this is something I do because it's already within me, so all I have to do is live it out. It's a natural outflow of who I am. How many know that's so much easier? And so each week we're focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Again, we've covered hope. We've covered peace. You can check that out if you want on our podcast, on uh, the YouTube app, or even Facebook. Just go back and check that out. But today we're talking about joy. I believe that these traits and through these traits, we are learning how we can rediscover Christmas. Christmas sometimes has become this this thing where we just have to get stuff so we can give it to people and show off and be okay and go through crowds. And I'm not against gifts. I say it all the time. I'm not against stuff. I'm just against stuff having us. We can, we can have stuff, but don't let stuff have you. Does that make sense? And so despite the challenges and the hardships and the pains and the difficulties and the things that we might be experiencing right now, we can learn through these traits. Because I believe that Christ has come to be with us, our Emmanuel, and we can experience joy. Listen to me. We can experience joy no matter what discouragement we're going through right here and right now. And so what we've been doing each week is we are looking at different Bible characters within the Christmas story, and we're finding kind of what they went through, putting ourselves um, in their shoes, so to speak. How many know I'm big on context? I'm big on history, historically, why this was written, to whom it was written, the time frame. And, you know, isn't it cool to kind of try to put yourself into the shoes and the, the feels of what was going on in that moment? And so today I want to talk about Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth and Mary, the, the mother's joy that they experienced. But here's the thing about joy. Sometimes you have to work through pain in order to get to it. And so I want to look at their portion of the story in the Gospel of Luke. You know, there's a lot of joy throughout the biblical Christmas story, especially early in the story. But it's important to note that joy is not separate from pain and disappointment. In fact, much of this joy is born out of long disappointment and grief. How many know we've been talking about what Israel was waiting for? They were longing for a Messiah. See, for us to read the story in the 21st century, sometimes we, we kind of lose the context. We lose the feeling of what's really going on. I mean, this was a people who for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years were going through pain, um, occupation of other countries, exile, slavery. I mean, come on, this was a big deal. 
And so here they are under Roman occupation, and, and they're in this place where they're longing for that Messiah. Now, we know that they were looking for a warrior king Messiah who would come in, overthrow the government, and set up the kingdom of Israel again. How many know some people were disappointed? Because Jesus said, I'm from a different kingdom. There's a different way to do life. But again, joy isn't separate from pain and disappointment. And so I want to look more closely uh, at this and explore the stories and experiences of Elizabeth and Mary today. So Luke's Christmas story begins actually a little earlier than Mary and Joseph and Jesus with a prophet named Zechariah, say Zechariah, and his wife Elizabeth, say Elizabeth. I'm going to pick the story up here in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, I want you to hear this, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. It's a pretty powerful statement. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, this short paragraph would have spoken volumes of information to Luke's original audience. Now, again, for us, we read this, we're like, yeah, it's the Christmas story. I've heard this before, but there's so much captured in here. First of all, we have Herod. Who is Herod? Herod's the Roman king that's keeping the Jews under harsh Roman control. These were difficult times. We've talked about this several times. The people were hungry. Taxation was high. I mean, it was just not a good time. And then here we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both get this of priestly lineage. Did you catch that? both from priestly lineage. And in a day, and Jesus dealt with this constantly through his ministry, but in a day with a lot of religious corruption going on, I mean, you had these different parties, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they they were trying to make power plays for power and position. And Jesus called it out, didn't he? And how many know the religious didn't like it? But Jesus called out anything that rejected people, that made people into outcasts, that... um, put, you know, taxation, because it wasn't just Rome. The church was taxing people heavy too. And so you had this religious sect, and listen, I'm not against the religious leaders. Some of them chose to follow Jesus, right? But they were, they were living this lavish life while people were starving and they were poor. So this is the time they're living in. But think about this. In this time of religious corruption and these power plays being made, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a stark contrast. What does it say? It says that they were, it describes them as righteous, blameless, and faithful. Are you catching on to this? Now, this is especially important in light of what Luke tells us next. He says, Zechariah and Elizabeth are old, and they've never what? They've never been able to have a child. This is huge. Now, that changes suddenly. A miracle happens what, when, when Arch, the archangel Gabriel comes, and he tells Zechariah that his wife is going to have a son. Not just any son. How many know who the son was? John the Baptist. He was going to be a prophet who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. So we're, we're starting to get into some really cool you know, aspects of the story here. But, but I want us to see that Elizabeth was going through her own trauma her own issues. She couldn't have a child. So Zechariah is told by the angel, she is going to, you know, have a child. And he's thinking, how is this going to work? In fact, he was so overwhelmed. 
that he could hardly even believe the news, and then he questions the news. Have you read the story? He questions the angel, and the angel says, okay, here's your sign. You won't be able to speak until the child is born. So the guys made a mute. I would have been like, dude, okay, can I get a different sign? Like, like anything else, like, like I'll fast for a week, but like to not talk for nine months, that would be impossible for me. And so now he's left with trying to tell this story and relate it by signs, right? See, right here, signs and wonders. I'm wondering what she's signing. Isn't that beautiful though that she, let's give it up for Jessica. Come on. <laughs> I like it. Come on now. <laughs> That's so cool. But, but we have the situation, you know, where he's like, ah, I don't know if this is going to happen. How many know there's another couple who were really old who were promised a son? There's just so many correlations to different things if we catch on to this. But in this Christmas story, the prophet is left writing and signing to everyone, explaining what has happened. But, you know, it's really cool. It seems that Elizabeth is quicker to believe the news. And when she became pregnant, she says this in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. Isn't that cool? She's given honor where honors due. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Okay, are, are you picking this up? I just got goosebumps. I don't know if it's Holy Ghost or just my feels right now, but I mean, this, this lady was going through it. She was old in her age. And then there's this odd note in the previous verse that tells us that Elizabeth went into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy. Does that get you thinking a little bit? Why did she go away for five months? Maybe this has something to do with Elizabeth's disgrace that she mentions here. I mean, think about this. For her, the inability to have children would have been this lifelong source of pain and sorrow and shame. Listen, being barren or being able to have a child in this culture was big. In fact, we, my wife and I, on our last date night, uh, we went out, we went and saw the movie Napoleon. Interesting. Wow, that guy was whack. But uh, he was also extremely smart, right? Like when it came to war. Um, but his first wife, he ended up divorcing her because she couldn't have a child. Because in that culture, especially as a king, you had to have offspring to carry on the name, right? But in this culture, if you didn't have a child, it was looked upon as a disgrace. And so I think about the young couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah, getting married, hopeful, excited about the future, loving God, wanting to have a child to carry on the name, but never could, never could carry on. And then I think about maybe the questions as a young Jewish woman that she would ask herself. And then I think about maybe the questions that other women would ask her. And I'm thinking about those questions possibly and unfairly asked in a way that's casting suspicion or unfound blame on her. Because you've got to understand, this was a superstitious time. And so for them, it's like, oh, you're barren, you can't have a child. What have you done wrong? Why is God holding out on you? Right? This is how the cultures thought. Why are the gods not giving you a child? And so imagine her disappointment. I wonder if she had moments of pregnancy where a hope would, would arise again only to be met by a dashing of hopes with a miscarriage or two 
or three or four. We don't know. We don't know how many times they tried, but we know this. She is going through something that has brought her self-worth down and down and down. And at some point, she and everyone around her would have declared Elizabeth barren and really branded her. How many know that Jesus is not in the labels, but human beings are? We like to label people. And so she would have been labeled a barren woman. That's what she would have been known as, a lifelong stigma. Maybe that's why she was in seclusion for five months. Maybe she was in a place where she just wanted to let that hope blossom into joy personally for herself. And I even thought about this. Maybe it was to ensure that this pregnancy was indeed going to last. I have friends who they've had problems getting pregnant. And when they first find out, they try to go at least a first trimester before they even tell anyone. Because they don't want to let just their hopes down if it doesn't work out. What about others? Can you get the feeling of what she's going through here. Meanwhile, if this were a movie we're watching, we'd get some, uh, some kind of subtitle that would say, Meanwhile in Galilee. So Elizabeth is six months present, pregnant, and then, then Mary, the mother of Jesus, who wasn't the mother yet, Gabriel makes another appearance to her. And he gives her probably the most miraculous pregnancy announcement of all, and we, you know, we hear this, we're like, it's amazing, onto us a Savior is born. It's a virgin birth. How many know, like, that's not a normal thing? I mean, virgins usually don't have children, right? Now, now maybe someone's tried to fool their parents and say, it's immaculate, it's immaculate, okay. Well, why would it be any different then? And so she gets to this point where she says, you know what, I'm going to visit my cousin, Elizabeth. And so, you know, she wants to visit because she's gone through her own pain, her own trauma, right? We know this, at first, she receives the news willingly. I mean, she's excited. I mean, this is great. She had a faith. She had a trust in God. She says, everything you said, let it be on to me. I received this. I want to be part of that. But at some point early on, I have to believe that Mary, I mean, she wasn't that naive. She must have known that there were going to be challenges. She had to know that disgrace was just around the corner. I mean, think about the scorn and the shame that she would face, as well as her family and her fiancé, Joseph, as well. I mean, it would be tremendous when it became obvious that she was pregnant outside of being married. Now, today, not such a big deal. People don't really, I mean, unless, I don't know, there's some people that look really crazy on it, but most people are like, I'm pregnant. Hey, we're happy for you. Not in this culture. And so here she is. She has to go through, yes, God, I want to do what you requested of me and be it unto me. But, you know, even Joseph couldn't believe the news at first. If you look at Matthew's account of the narrative, Joseph planned to break off their engagement, which in that culture would have meant divorce. And so I know this. We have Elizabeth who's struggling, but we also have Mary who had a journey that would not be an easy one. And so maybe that's why at some point she, it says that she hurried to a little town in the country of Judea. It's a hillside town, and we know Elizabeth was there. And so I'm thinking that she was probably in her head trying to process this, and when she heard the news of Elizabeth, she thought, I'm going to go talk to Elizabeth because maybe if anyone can understand, it would be Elizabeth. And this is where joy erupts for both of these mothers-to-be. Now think about this. Against the backdrop of discouragement, disgrace, grief, and shame, the joy comes bursting through for these two mothers-to-be. Look at this in Luke chapter 1, 
verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, this is just a greeting at the door. Look at this. The baby leapt in her womb. Isn't that cool? I mean, why did the writer put that? That is just like cool info. Look at this. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Say it ain't so. That's amazing to me. I mean, how do we read over this stuff? Look at this. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She got it, didn't she? Look at this. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, my baby, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. That's so cool. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Can you imagine what a relief this would have been to Mary? Think again about all the scorn, all the shame and ridicule that she's probably gone through. She comes to Mary, or she comes to Elizabeth. She hears this after the greeting. Think about this. She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry anymore about being misunderstood. All she had to do was say hello, and Elizabeth knew. Can you feel just the, the weight that was released? These were human beings, by the way, right? So I want us to, to get into what they were feeling. It was so powerful that even her developing baby knew and leaped within her. To me, this was just affirmation, encouragement. This is what Mary needed. And then her joy came bursting through as well. And look at this. She sang and praised and thanked God. This is just part of what she, what she uh, sings in verse 46 through 49. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now she's talking about herself. I want us to catch this next line. From now on, say from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Okay, let me say something. It's very awkward and uncomfortable for most of us to say anything good about ourselves. Let's be honest. Someone compliments us. Why is it so hard to say thank you? Maybe it's just me, but it's like, oh, no. Well, I, why are you giving excuses for the person who's complimenting you right now? But look at the state Mary's in. Mary came. Listen, to this. Mary came to Elizabeth, hadn't even passed through the threshold of the door yet. She was discouraged, I'm sure. She had gone through scorn and ridicule and shame, and now she's singing a song that all generations will call me blessed. If that's not joy, I don't know what joy is. It completely turned her sorrow to joy. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. I mean, on one level... It's the celebration and connection in the midst of these miraculous events. I mean, it was a miracle that Elizabeth was pregnant. It was a miracle how Mary had gotten pregnant. But then on another level, think about this. It's, it's two human being females, two expectant mothers sharing a deep understanding and affirmation that encouraged the flow of joy no matter what has happened before no matter what's going to happen in the days ahead. I think this set them up in a place where no, no, no matter who questioned them, no matter who looked at them with shame and scorn, it didn't matter. Because you know what? God's got my back, and so does Mary, and so does Elizabeth, and they're going through the same thing. I think that's so beautiful. And so we're seeing that this joy 
turn them completely around from a place of being down, maybe feeling worthless, maybe not sure what was really happening in their life. And I think there's much that we can take away from the story, but I'd like to focus on three points that we can apply in our own experience with joy. Number one, it's okay to be joyful and happy. It's okay to be joyful and happy. Now, for some of you, it's a no-brainer. It's kind of one of those no-duh statements. Like, yeah, I get it. But let's be completely honest. I've talked to enough people. I've counseled enough people You know, as a pastor. Um, I've, I've gone through my own counseling and therapy in my life to, to bring healing uh, within me. And for others, this is a subversive kind of statement that might actually make you feel a little bit uncomfortable if you really think about it. Because for some people, I don't know why this is, we almost feel guilty for feeling joyful and happy. And sometimes people will make you feel guilty, right? That person at work that's just super, like, exuberant in their joy, and someone's like, man, chill out, man. Like, why are you always smiling? Why are you always got to... First of all, that's probably jealousy because they themselves can't find joy. Why can't we let people just be themselves and be joyful? Why? Because we don't think it's okay to be joyful and happy. And a lot of where you fall on that spectrum probably depends on your personal past. It depends on what you've gone through. If you're raised in a home where you weren't allowed to express your feelings, (laughs) I'm telling you, this will shut you down. And it's a process that you have to work through. And sometimes you can't just do it on your own. Most of the time, you can't do it on your own. There's others who are gifted to help you process through these feelings and these emotions and that trauma. But at the same time, Holy Spirit's there the whole time saying, I've already given you the gift of joy. It's there. But the thing is, even if we begin to see it, for some of us, we feel guilty to even feel those feelings. Now, let me say this. As I was looking through and studying this, it really got me to dig a little bit deeper. And we probably all heard Joy described in contrast to happiness, right? I've said this even recently. I've described emotions in a dichotomy that divides the two, the two basically along two lines. Here's what it looks like. Happiness is fleeting and temporary, and it's based on what's happening. You've heard me say that, right? Whereas joy is deeper and more fulfilling. I'm not saying that's wrong, but quite often in our Christian culture, the two get split into happiness as not so spiritual you know, a little less valuable and fulfilling, whereas joy is super spiritual, right? It's like that gift God gives us, which is true, but we make it more important and more fulfilling, or at least we think. Is this ringing any bells? And so what this did, because this is something I believe for a long time, I preached even recently, it actually made me dig in a little bit to Scripture. And in actuality, the Bible doesn't make any distinction between joy and happiness. So sorry, I was wrong. It doesn't make any distinction. Now, there are essential differences, right, uh, with these words um, in some ways, but really, essentially, they mean the same thing. They may have slightly different nuances, like many synonyms do, but those are often cultural and shifting. Here's the thing. We have had ancient languages translated into English, Now, I know there's a few of you smarty pants out there who can read Hebrew and Greek, and that's awesome. For those of us who can't, we need to dig in and study and thank God for the tools so we can do that. 
But how many know that you normally read an English translation of the Bible? But you know this in the original Hebrew and Greek, terms that are used in the Bible to describe joy and happiness, they're essentially interchangeable. That's why I put it. That's why I said it's okay to be joyful. And I added, and happy. I raise this point because it's something some of us need to hear. We just need to know this, and we need to be reminded of it. It's okay to be happy and joyful. It's okay to enjoy those emotions. In fact, we need to. I'm telling you, listen, I'm not perfect in this. None of us are. But I've met people who are so just, I don't know how to describe it. They're so deep in their own stuff. I call it stuff on Sunday morning. They're so deep in their stuff that they can't even see that joy is there. It's just not present. But I'm here to say it's okay to feel those emotions, to enjoy things in life. There's a great joy in the Christmas season. Come on. I love the decorations. I love, there's something about it. And yes, it's the meaning of Jesus, but it just, it lifts your spirit. And that's one thing I noticed, you know, as I was growing, when I was growing up, there was always like, I don't know, always this controversy. It's like the world's built on that, you know, about like someone's mad because the church or the local, you know, municipal municipality has a manger scene out front and stuff. But I found this, that most people are okay with Christmas being about Jesus. You know, there was a time where I had people like, man, someone says happy holidays to me. I'm like, you mean Merry Christmas? I'm like, oh, cool. Did they find Jesus right at that moment with you? It's like, when are we gonna, when are we gonna get this? No one's gonna go, oh, and fall on their knees. Fall on your knees because you're so mean to me right now. That's not gonna happen. Let them say happy holidays because guess what? There's a lot of holidays going on, guys. Right? But I found that most people, I've watched secular programs and they're singing songs. And man, it makes me emotional. About our Savior. Celebrating the night where Christ was born. I'm thinking, this isn't a Christian production. Isn't this beautiful? And so most people understand this is when we celebrate the birth of Christ. And it's such a beautiful time, and it should be joyous and peaceful and hopeful. And listen, it's good to embrace and celebrate that joy because it's, it's certainly hard to find the right balance in our lives to savor and experience that joy. But to those of you who find yourself driven by obligation and busyness and guilt in this season, listen, it's okay to stop and say no and pause and embrace a part of the season that brings you personal happiness. What makes you happy in this time? Don't let someone steal your joy. This is a gift that was given to you by God. So open the gift. Benefit and enjoy the gift. And to those of you who maybe find Christmas to be a painful, difficult season, maybe the loss of a loved one happened around this time, you know, I know Kristen lost her father just, it was right after Thanksgiving, in between that and Christmas. And so there's times where there's some sorrow and there's some pain, right? Because we miss people that we lost. To those of you who are hurting or grieving personally or feeling discouraged by this, this 2023 has been a horrible year for you. Maybe you can't be the one to say this is the best year ever. Maybe it's been a tumultuous year 
and you've gone through it. And even to those of you who are happy to revel in the season at this time, you know what? It's okay to feel and to embrace joy because God sees you no matter where you are on the emotional spectrum of happiness. And he's there to remind you, I've given you a gift. It's there. Unwrap it. What's my point? My point is our longing for happiness and joy is a natural desire that God has placed within us as a reflection of his own joyful nature. So you're not a going against your you're not going against your nature when you experience joy. Come on, somebody. So whatever term you want to call it, the most important part is that joy and happiness has a source, and that source is Jesus. That source is your connection to the divine. It's okay to be joyful and happy. Number two, see number two. You knew I was going to say this because I'm a preacher. Joy is our strength. Joy is our strength. There's a great example of this principle in the story of Nehemiah. Does anyone remember him? Uh, Nehemiah was an Old Testament leader who during exile, he got permission from King Artaxerxes to return from Babylon, where they were in exile, and rebuild Jerusalem, starting with the walls. Now, can you imagine people being released from exile to go back to their hometown, but it was destroyed and desolate? And so we, we have this group of people, right? And it's not just the, this process to me wasn't just a return to a physical city. If you really look a little deeper, how many know we like to dig a little deeper past the surface? We see that it was a spiritual reawakening for the people. And so in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, he brings all the people together. They bring out the law of Moses and read it. They're being reminded of this relationship with God. He's, he wants them to remember. He wants them to return to this relationship with God. And as he does this, it says that the people are weeping. Now, they weren't just crying, boo-hoo, weeping. <laughs> now, maybe some were weeping tears of joy. I mean, they were released from exile. But I wonder if most of them were weeping from sadness as they recognized the relationship that was lost between them and God. Not that God went anywhere, but how many know sometimes we can make a choice to go somewhere else? Do you realize that Israel, every time that they would turn from the Lord, now that's, there's, there's a key phrase here, turn from the Lord. The Lord didn't turn from them. In fact, the Lord was always there and heard their cry. But how many know we have at least enough free will to say, you know what, I'm going my own way. You know, every time Israel would turn from the Lord, they ended up in captivity, exile, slavery. I mean, it happened every time. And so here's Nehemiah. He wants to remind them of this covenant that they have with God. And this is just beautiful to me. In the midst of this scene, people weeping, they're sad. They're like, oh, I mean, maybe the remorse, maybe the guilt or shame they were feeling. Look what he says in Nehemiah 8.10. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Oh, come on, Nehemiah. I mean, he's saying, we, we need to party, you guys. We need to party right now. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, we're all going to share in this. But look at this next one. He says, this day is holy or set apart to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you didn't even know that's where we get that from. Man, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Actually, we're going to, oh, 
We're going to sing that, I think, sometime soon. We're working on a song. The joy of the Lord. But this is the backdrop. People who are in exile, people who were realizing they need to reawaken to relationship, a relationship that's always been there. How many know it's not too much different here now in the 21st century? Do you know you have brothers and sisters running around this planet who have no clue that they're sons and daughters of God? That they're made in the image and likeness of God? They're clueless. That's why the gospel is repent. Now, we've made that word dirty. We think that means you grovel at an altar somewhere so God might forgive you if you do it well enough. No, repent, the Greek word, actually means change your mind. And Jesus said, change your mind. Stop thinking the way you're thinking. You need to, what did Paul say, Romans 12, 2? You're transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Repent, the kingdom of God is within you. Awaken to the connection. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's like, guys, listen, God hasn't gone anywhere. We did. But now, guess what? Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, celebrate it. Enjoy it. Why? Because this is a time for happiness that God has brought us back. And he's restoring not just our city, but he's restoring our hearts, our relationship with him. Because guess what? Our source of strength is the very joy of the Lord. It's what fuels us. It's what sustains us because our true source of happiness, joy, and fulfillment, let me tell you, it comes from Christ. That's why Pastor Kristen this morning can say, listen, it's not about money, big houses. Listen, I'm not against money and big houses and cars. I mean, I've seen some beautiful homes, and that's great. Good for you. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, true joy and fulfillment comes from reconnecting to the source. It's awakening to this relationship that God has already provided. Listen, since the resurrection, I believe that new creation has been bursting forth. There's so many things here that I could get into, and I'm not going to because I don't want to keep you all morning. But listen, Jesus is called the last Adam for a reason. So here we are. Divine connection there. We just have to know it. I mean, you know, you don't benefit from something unless you know it exists. And so that's why we preach the gospel. Peter describes it like this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, listen to this, with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says an inexpressible and glorious joy. That sounds like... Some deep stuff. That's the kind, let me say it like this, that type of source, it's so deep that it's even deeper than our pain and our sorrow and our problems. Those things that can bury us. I want you to picture for a minute, just close your eyes. I want you to picture that these gifts have already been given and they're inside you. They're within you. But sometimes there's hurt and there's pain And there's things that we have to dig through, not on our own, but dig through to get to that source of joy. Sometimes it seems so far away, but I'm telling you, it's a deep well that we can draw from. It it reminds me of uh, the prismatic spring that's 10 stories deep, right? It's so deep, it's down there, but sometimes we have to dig. Sometimes we have to dig through the, the murky muck to get to it. And it's always there no matter what we're facing. Now, listen, you know me. You know my heart. If you've been here for any amount of time, I'm not suggesting. It's just a don't worry, be happy, put on a plastic smile because everything's great. 
You know that whole faggot thing? How you doing, brother? Blessed and highly favored. But the truth is you're on the verge of divorce. You just lost your job. I'm just being honest. This is what we go through. And I'm all about faith statements. That's great. But you need to find people you can just be real with and go, you know what? It's not going well at all, to be honest with you. And just let it out. And maybe a few choice words with it. I don't, hey, you won't offend me. I work construction and I toured in bands for years. You can't offend me, okay? My point is, oh, pastor told us to cuss. It's good for you. I'm not saying that. (laughs) But I'm saying sometimes you need to find someone, and maybe that's just the Lord, where you can say, I'm letting this stuff out, and I'm not happy. I told you the story. When my brother passed away at 45, I was mad. And I had some words with the Lord. And I remember being on that field and just probably looked like a lunatic, screaming at the sky. I knew God wasn't in the sky. You know, it was just those moments you're going through, and I let it out. And I never felt condemnation. I never felt like I was like, oh, 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 be careful with your words. Oh, oh you're, you're offending me because you're questioning me. No, no. You know what happened through that? I got it off my chest. Peter calls it casting your cares on the Lord for he cares for you. It doesn't say how you should cast. You just need to cast. And so when I did that, there was this moment of peace. Because I knew God didn't take my brother. But I was hurting. I was going through pain. But in the midst of that, I began to find joy. Because I was releasing. I was digging through that. So I'm not suggesting that we just pretend everything's fine with a plastic smile. Fake it till we make it. Some fake kind of joy. Listen, you can't fake joy. But sometimes this is a joy that's a rushing fountain erupting from our spirits, kind of like Old Faithful, right? There's those moments that bubble us forth. But let me just be honest with you. Sometimes it's a thick, slow bubbling to the surface joy. It might take time. It might seem dark. It might seem murky. It might seem muddy. But let me tell you, it's there. It's within you. It just takes time. So wherever you find yourself today, let me encourage you that the joy of the Lord can be felt no matter what you are facing. And that leads us to our final point. Number three, this is huge. We can choose joy. Ever think about joy being a choice? We can choose joy. There's a lot of use of the word rejoice in the Bible. Anyone heard the word rejoice? It's not a word that we use very often in our culture. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not in the store, and they have what I want, and I'm like, oh, rejoice. And people are like, what is wrong with this guy, right? <laughs> it's not a common word, but I think maybe it should be. See, rejoice is the verb form of joy. By definition, it's the action of feeling or expressing joy and delight. And if you take a look a little more closely at the word, you'll notice that it begins with a prefix, re. Think back to grammar school. For some of us, maybe that's too far. Or how about other English words that start with re? And you'll remember, see how I did that? You'll remember that this prefix means once more, again, or a return to. So think about this. To rejoice is the return to joy. Let me say it like this. It's a choice and an action we can take to return to joy. And I'd like to add this. 
It's a return to our source of joy. It's a return to relationship with the divine. It's a return to Jesus, our Savior, who was born. It's, it's rediscovering the meaning of Christmas. Come on, somebody. It's that relationship and connection that we have. I believe this is the only way we can, we can find true delight and satisfaction. And I believe the process is the same for all of us. Listen, it's the same process, whether we're feeling the happiness and joy this season or not. You know, whether we're buried in discouragement or everything is going our way, none of us can manufacture or conjure an unending supply of feel-good happiness all the time. Listen, I don't care how optimistic you are. Now, I know some people that I would swear they're never not happy, but sooner or later, we all have one of those days one of those weeks, come on, Holly, you're right with me, right? You're like, yep. One of those years, it's the human condition. And in reality, we all have them way more often than we like to, or to be honest, we'd like to admit. Now, this isn't Pastor Andy trying to draw on you, all like, oh, yeah, my life's so bad. But I'm saying that we have times where it's just like, man, life is not going how I expected how many know that sometimes you're let down? People don't meet your expectations. Life doesn't meet your expectations. Wow. And so what happens is instead of realizing, oh, I think I had too high of expectations, we choose to get offended. We choose to get angry and bitter and mad. And rather than going, okay, I'm feeling those feelings, but I want to dig through it because joy is there, we choose not to. And I'm encouraging you today to dig deeper into the joy that you already have. Listen, it's already there. It's a gift because that's where the re comes in. That's where we must return regularly, daily, constantly to our source of joy. That's our connection to God. It's why rejoicing is our process of refilling our tank, restoring our strength, and renewing our spirit. It's reconnecting with the divine. And in this process, I think that the Apostle James' words make more sense when he encourages us to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whether you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I got to admit, sometimes that the last, when I'm going through stuff, this is the last thing I want to hear. I don't want your Bible verse right now. Because joy can feel so far away. But listen, it's there. It's within you. It's a gift. So enjoy it. Open it up. Unwrap it. But let me encourage you also, because it's easy to read this and feel like James is saying, hey, be happy about your trials and your problems. And I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying we can find joy in the midst of the problems and the issue when we see the bigger picture beyond them. When we dig a little deeper to that deep well of joy within us. And I believe in difficult times, there's much encouragement to be found in the rejoices of the Psalms. I love this, for example, in Psalm 13, it begins with the painful cry, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? I mean, these are strong words, right? But it ends with the reminder and declaration, but I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. You see how that process works? We let it out. We, we say what we're feeling. That's okay. But then we come back to the truth that we can trust in his unfailing love and that our heart can rejoice in his salvation. 
This is where we find authentic joy. So let's rediscover Christmas this year by embracing joy no matter what we're going through. Amen? All right, will you stand with me? Nehemiah says, the day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Say it with me. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Say it again. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these gifts that you've given us. And I really do see it as that. It's just, it's a gift. And the beautiful thing about a gift, by definition, is it's not earned. If I earn this, it would be a reward. It would be a payment. But that's not what it is. It's a gift. So regardless of the the day, the week, the month, the year that I'm having, regardless even of my actions, even if my actions aren't lining up with the truth of who I am, these are gifts you've given to me. Hope, peace, joy. And so I pray this morning that in the midst of maybe turmoil, pain, loss, rejection, that we can tap into that gift of joy. That through that joy, we find our strength. We find that sense of our true self. We begin to believe the story that you're telling us about ourselves, that we're sons and we're daughters, that we're loved, we're acceptable and we're pleasing and that you love us simply because we exist. But awakening to this idea of your love for us gets us to a place where we begin to make different decisions for our life. Decisions that are rooted in our true self. Say this with me, Heavenly Father. I thank you for your gift of joy. I receive it just like on Christmas morning. It's my gift and I choose to unwrap that gift and enjoy that gift and say wow and thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us because we're here. And as we go from here today, you'll still be with us. Continue to work on us. Really, Scripture tells us that your job is to remind us of our right standing with you. It's a constant reminder that you love us. We're accepted as beloved children and that we're right standing with you. That can bring joy right there. I just pray for anyone who's going through adversity in their life right now. I know it's hard to to feel joy, to even feel hope, and even to access that peace. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you're helping them to access those gifts that you've given them. 
And I even pray for just supernatural divine appointment that you're lining things up, whether someone's lost a job, there's a new job waiting in the wings, whether they lost a relationship or a relationship that seems broken and, and too far and too gone. I thank you for restoration and relationships right now in Jesus' name. For some, I just pray good quality friendship into their life people they can confide in, people they can trust with their heart. We thank you for your love and your goodness in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.